0: You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. Welcome back to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast with myself, cell phone Walker. This is the final episode of three human factors episodes on human factors in practice, indeed within critical care, and indeed just looking at human factors from a different perspective um, and a different colleague um, from a, a, a different service. So today I'm with Jim Walmsley. Jim is no stranger to the podcast and has been on with me before. Jim is a specialist, paramedic in critical care. He has also worked in various non-government organizations. So he's uh, worked around Europe and indeed uh, across the world from 1996. In 2001, he also Uh, qualified as an international mountain leader and he's spent the last 19 years as a qualified critical care paramedic. He has uh, and is about to uh, go to one of the leading air ambulance trusts within the UK and split his time between two different trusts working as a critical care retrieval practitioner. In the conversation we're going to look at what human factors means Jim. We're also going to look at um, a little bit more of focus around task and, and and how what the interplay between human factors and tasks looks like. So task complexity, task variability, task duration and demands, feedback mechanisms, clearly defined goals, and then how we can design tasks to better serve clinicians. Jim, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Owen, and it's great to be back. Thank you for having me back. Um... Yeah, it's a real pleasure.
0: Jim, could I just start with just looking at what human factors means to you?
1: Yeah, I, it's, it's something that um, I don't profess to be any expert in at all. However, absolutely a part of our world, our life, uh, my professional life, I don't see it as a rigid thing. I don't see it this, you know, this idea of the, the Swiss cheese model if you do this, this, and this, if you put these layers in, you will be a winner. You will succeed. There will be no error. And uh, I don't see it like that. I just see it infinitely more complex. Uh, it, it just feels like it's infinite, infinite, in the ability to adapt and change and uh, evolve. And so, it's based on things like latent factors. They're things like morale or confidence. We know uh, that a culture eats policy procedure training for breakfast. So that's true. Uh, We know that there are um, errors that occur. And I just think we, um, for me, human factors is is about looking at at all of these layers. And there's a really good paper by Wilson and call it Uh, Called the onion model, and I really like that because it just gives you the idea of layers, these different layers on top of each other, and then they have these external factors that uh, also affect uh, that onion. In another way, I think for me, there's been a before and after. Uh, The program that I have the privilege to work in uh, as a specialist paramedic in critical care has really opened my eyes and. There's been a before, so when I started uh, 19 years ago in the ambulance service here in the UK, it was about silos of working. They were almost silos, negative silos, working with stalwarts, not sharing information. This was in the day before SatNav. I would have colleagues that would let me drive past an address to a property, to an incident, because I didn't have the A to Z knowledge of where I should be going and that that was a weakness. Admitting error openly, another sign of weakness. And so that was the era that I came from. Um, If you had a certain look, if you dared to put the stethoscope around your neck, that incited a whole layer of uh, situations about um, what that was saying about you and your approach. What has been after? Uh, the the program that I've I've been involved with for the last ten years is is really transformed my attitude my approach my belief uh, what I think are true uh, a, a around human factors and how we can improve on that and what I mean by that is that um, we meet every seven weeks we 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 call it um, clinical governance uh, it's uh, uh, a period of time every seven weeks uh, based on a rota uh, and we have 10 teams and each ccp from line one for example will meet from all 10 teams and what we do is we we have a chat in house rules we speak openly we have a just culture we encourage sharing honesty um we own error we analyze we critique we sweat the detail and that can be quite hard to accept in the beginning. And certainly myself, and I have seen with colleagues who have come from the old into a system like this, really struggle and the ego kick in. Um, and, and and you know, those egotistical sort of uh, frustrations um, maybe not allow you to have a smooth transition to an, such an open environment. And this is nothing new. I was involved in this system 20 years ago uh, when I was working offshore uh, in the petroleum industry around the world. And they w- had a global reporting system. So if there was a, uh, an accident that happened, you know, on one rig in one part of the world, that would then be disseminated across the hundreds and thousands of facilities so that that would not occur again. And I think. Very recently, it's been really exciting uh, to have seen maybe the evolving of the after for me. I've just been through a well-known HEMS crew course, and that was just really genuinely uh, wonderful to have been put through. Yes, I was under pressure, but it was very well thought out. There was a real attention to individual learning and tailoring to that so for example on one of the days where we were put through moulages and simulation we had an embedded faculty member that was an outside silent partner watching was not critical was not part of the faculty but actually disseminated and uh, facilitated uh, extra learning uh, which we would do um, together while we were restocking rechecking recheck in, ready for for the next simulation. So, that's my take on human factors. I think it's it's been quite a journey, and I suspect I will be on one more to come.
0: So I really like that, Jim. I really like like you said, the, this this peeling back of the layers of the onion to really understand the the interlocking or overlapping procedures and tasks but also the environmental and indeed individual human factors which contribute to performance the how how fatigued are you like you said you get together once every seven weeks right Jim what time of day or night was it you know was it 3 a.m in the morning what was the weather conditions like what was the what 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 what, how are you feeling were you fatigued um, what night shift was it? So that you know that's one aspect, fatigue. Another aspect, you know, what would you done just before that, Jim? What would the rest of you of United? What what did that look like? Another aspect, what was the um, another layer of the union? What was the communication like within the team that you were working in that flash team? And these are all layers, like you said, you can peel back, and and the and the the true the true place of ownership is, like you said, is owning the errors or indeed the maybe the 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 less than optimal performance in in each of those if you can mitigate each each one or indeed own each one. And and then coming out with what the end result was, because unlike you said, the heart of this, every all this is about quality improvement, is about incremental improvement. What else can we do? You know, was I so fatigued, I didn't realize that the ambulance was, was actually parked into the, the bay and actually needed to be turned around. So he because that added an extra 30 seconds onto the pick. you know, all these incremental benefits that you can you can you can really shave off through. Ownership through peeling back the layers of the onion, and indeed just reflection. And Jim, just just looking, so looking at that, and just bringing it into context. Could you maybe speak to how human factors, or indeed task, or and or environmental, and or individual human factors, have, have affected you in the past, how and how maybe you've articulated and reflected on that?
1: I mean, there are so many experiences, so many um, incidents. Uh, I think. Uh, and it's been really hard actually thinking about this. It's been really hard to try and pick out some uh, sort of some blinders, really. Uh, I suppose they're all blinders. They're in, in their own way. I think one was literally recently uh, was uh, that I was tasked to an incident. It was uh, a motorcyclist versus car. It was uh, a significant major trauma, multi-trauma uh, to uh, the motorcyclist. Um, and we were the first ambulance uh, clinicians to see, and it was in quite a remote area uh, of where I work. Uh, and then calling in the helicopter team, and then uh, other um, colleagues like my uh, ambulance colleagues working on an ambulance and police. Uh, we didn't need fire rescue support. Um, it was it was a it was a exciting job. It was interesting. It was it was. It was challenging. It was it was very positive in uh, the system that I work in to deliver such such exceptional care that I think made a massive difference for this uh, individual, uh, which we managed to to get to the right hospital and the right care for part of that longer journey uh, that Dave would be on. What was really interesting was that while I was minding my own business and clearing up and restocking. Uh, ready for the next job. Uh, I had a student paramedic. I'd sent them off with the crew, with the patient and the HEMS team to go to the helicopter, which was nearby, to load the patient onto the helicopter. Uh, And the police had cordoned off this section of road where the accident had happened. And before I knew it, uh, and unbeknownst to me, another ambulance had turned up and was wanting to drive through this scene that was cordoned off. We, I had a police colleague who was quite keen that we, oh, that he would not allow the ambulance through. And I said, look, I need to understand what is the problem with the patient and what is the severity. Can you please ask? And I think if it's a, a severe situation, uh, based on my judgment, you have to let the ambulance through. Uh, the copper came back, the police officer came back and told me uh, two statements. The patient is peri arrest. Second statement was uh, oxygen saturations of 50%. So needless to say, I asked that this ambulance was allowed through and that I indeed, I met the crew and the patient. Long story short, this was a patient that actually uh, was in a really significantly unwell situation, uh, was suffering with a chronic condition. uh, So something like MND, essentially was presenting with a pneumothorax. And there'd been quite a delay. This patient was in extremis, and we were a long way from a hospital. And so I decided, after listening to the history and assessing the patient, that I was worried that this patient was uh, tensioning, uh, they, uh, the individual had a tension pneumothorax, and I needed to decompress the chest. I did that, and the patient did improve, but then. It again and went back to a a poor baseline. So I called in a second helicopter and a second team and they turned up. And long story to be made even shorter was that probably on balance, I didn't take the right approach uh, with that patient or certainly I could have nuanced my approach. Why is that? Basically, I was adrenalized from the last job I didn't stop and take stock uh, and, uh, for example, use ultrasound to rule out uh, a pneumothorax or even a tension pneumothorax, uh, which could have helped me. I did try and expand my uh, bandwidth. I tried to call uh, our critical care desk and try and speak with either a fellow colleague or one of the doctors that we have on call service. Uh, They weren't contactable, and so I ended up going down a rabbit hole where I felt very alone. And I was very worried that this patient would essentially go into cardiac arrest. So much so that I set it ready for a traumatic cardiac arrest where I would then have to do something more severe like finger thoracostomies. So that's one job that's been recently. And I've tried to be honest to own that and reflect uh, so much so that actually I made a point to go to the attending hospital, meet up with the crew, Uh, and with the second HEMS team and just really discuss and be open about my errors uh, and what I thought were my shortcomings there. The second incident uh, is probably has a huge uh, influence on me personally. I find uh, uh, the, the factor of rudeness very difficult. And so, uh, another incident whereby I attended a paediatric who had choked on a meatball. Uh, this was a great many, uh, well, a good number of years ago. And uh, they had learning disabilities. They'd had spinal surgery. They had a, an intercisor uh, distance of just over two fingers width. So essentially, you are finding it very difficult uh, to intubate this patient, uh, and it was very emotive. It was in a, a public place or uh, in, in a place of service and care, um, and it was a real challenge. Uh, I managed to uh, steer the, the, the resuscitation into a positive direction. We got a, a ROSC, or return of spontaneous circulation, managed to intubate the patient, managed to give a high level of care In conjunction with great support from colleagues, no doubt about it. And uh, we managed to get this patient into hospital for uh, further care and investigation. What was really interesting was again, probably adrenalized uh, from a vet, probably one of the most challenging jobs that I can think of from a clinical perspective. I was met by genuine rudeness by one of the hospital. clinicians who was very I I perceived to be very rude to me and very snappy and uh, I took umbrage to that in a professional way Uh, it it was there was nothing that was unprofessional but it, it really absolutely brought me back down to a base layer of feeling and I was just incredulous to how this colleague could behave After what I had been through and my colleagues. And I challenged this individual and took this individual outside of uh, that facility to further discuss in what can be described as a robust conversation, Owen, um, about what my perspective was and what my perception was. And that that for me, they're, you know, they're two examples of how. human factors really do affect and even when you think you've done a good job and even when you think you've omitted latent factors or error or um, holes that might be in in the so-called Swiss cheese. So I think they're two short examples. Happy to elaborate on those but um, they as, as have many if not all incidents been really strong learning lessons and learning journeys for me and maybe uh more so uh because of my personality or my traits
0: it's really interesting you say that actually jim because like you said there's there's, there's some 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 cognitive biases and indeed anchoring biases in the first case whereby you, you you know you maybe you lost track of time or indeed it's the it's the situation awareness of of uh, right what what does this patient need now versus what they need in 10 15 minutes versus what can I mitigate when they get to hospital and so it's that sort of situational awareness piece of of uh, of of time perspective, and and again that that speaks to task that speaks to task saturation or indeed just that heuristic of being so engrossed and, and then forgetting actually the next 5 10 minute trajectory 20 30 minute trajectory and what's what where where are we where do we need to be and so i, I really can resonate with that and the second within the sort of attitude and how yeah fatigue and or characterological personality can really influence performance and future performance as well because like you said you know what's going to come up in in you when you see this practitioner in the future if it's not resolved is is suboptimal performance because actually there's going to be lots of um anchored memories and or feelings that come up from from that individual and you know dealing with them in a debrief is far better to have some kind of conflict resolution and just being honest with you, you now learning to do conflict well you know and pro, and proactively and so that it's not um, a negative and or derogatory experience it's actually it's actually done in a positive way and that, that we can both learn from and I, I'm still on that journey but but learning to do conflict well taking it away from the individual putting it on the table saying look these are the endpoints we both want to get to I've this is from my perspective what I saw but it's 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 that piece around around coming to predefined endpoints Jim could I just ask you there's, there's plenty of things you do in your day-to-day practice you know around you you know you kit you you do meticulous kit checks Against a check- checklist at the start of your shifts um, as part of any high performing um, service, <clears throat> could I get there's, there's these regular attenders in in task human factors around unfamiliarity with tasks so these kind of halo high acuity low occurrence tasks, you know, which we might only do once or twice in our career, inexperience, shortage of time, inadequate checking, poor procedures. So how can we address these in in, in your mind?
1: But I think, um, you know, if I may just talk about some of the, the more common things that we do and how we can have uh, an ability to address those uh, um, tasks or or factors to try and make them the best that they can. Um, I think for me, having a system is, is genuinely important. And I call it a scaffold. I, I, I've spoken about this before. Having a scaffold. So, for example, uh, uh, you know, some of my colleagues that have been out observing or are student paramedics, uh, I talk about the two R's and the three P's. What is that? Well, that's rapport with crew, rapport with uh, a patient, uh, an exquisite primary survey. And from that, you're going to come up with a plan suggest and a plan deploy. Use that every time uh, because it, 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 it doesn't fail you. It doesn't let you down. It addresses all of the factors that that might come up to to bite you in in the derriere, and uh, it might be that you can't do a rapport with crew because there's an immediate task that needs to be done, and then you do that afterwards. Uh, so it doesn't have to be rigid. I think the other thing to do is sweat the small stuff. I think that is super important. There, there tends to be personality traits with uh, roles and and uh, professions and. Certainly, I'm not alone in the program with being slightly fastidious and slightly uh, wishing to look at attention to detail. And what I mean by that is, is that, um, you know, be happy to do, We, as you've said, we do uh, daily checks and checklists. Uh, we tag our kit, retag it. Uh, for example, uh, one of the drug bags that we carry, that uh, carry the extended drugs that we uh, use as specialists, I check that and then tag it uh, so that I know that if it's been opened, I know it's been opened. I, I can see that just by looking at the bag as one example. Learn to uh, see the benefit of menial medial tasks like checking kit. It allows you to understand where the kit is so that when you, you have one of these halo incidents, you know exactly where the kit is. And we've had an incident recently with with a colleague uh, or with a a crew within my organization where uh, they've not been able to find a a significant piece of of equipment for a major hemorrhage for a patient that they attended to. And why is that? Because we've moved from one type of bag system to a new system and where we thought or where we used to keep the the major hemorrhage kit is now been split. So those are things that are really helpful. I think, um, you know, we might uh, sort of talk about uh, some of these uh, more complex uh, scenarios that, uh, you know, are, as you've referred to as being a halo situation. Um, we, I think within the programme that I work in and, and what we've evolved to try and do is um, is have a, a system that is simple, that doesn't judge, uh, that we... Um, focus on what we believe to be true. So that is clinical care it's pretty simple and and to have a high standard of delivery, It's not easy, but I work within a trust within an organization that has very simple targets placed on it from a national perspective, from a uh, a regulator perspective. Uh, so for example, we're judged by how quickly we get to a patient. That's a fundamental target that uh, we can't move away from. Uh, so that uh, that is something that can compound our our program and and is a constant pressure. But putting that aside, by being able to be in a different directorate, it allows us to focus on clinical care. And so uh, we, if we look at front of neck access as, as a, a halo uh, procedure, um, that is something that we skill drill every seven weeks or certainly as often as we can. Um, sometimes it's, it's buffered, bumped onto another clinical governance week because we might have a new piece of kit or a new SOP or clinical practice guideline uh, that we want to practice. Um, we look at when things go wrong. So we've evolved our skills assurance uh, uh, time. So we've been finding by auditing and reviewing, interviewing, publishing on Fona, which uh, is a publication that my program's published. Uh, uh, around phona and the psychology, uh, we we know that uh, we probably didn't train enough when things go wrong. What if you don't get access to that trachea after you've made an incision with a scalpel? So I think that there's some of the things that that can really help, whether they are a halo uh, procedure or just the mundane. Uh, it's about knowing actually, you know, my colleague who was on a night shift, handing over to me on a day shift, everything okay? Yeah, it's great, Jim, don't worry. Yeah, all, all ready to go. And if you don't do those checks, uh, you then later realise that the, the bottle of oxygen that you need in your primary bag is uh, a tenth full. And they forgot, They you know, by no malice, just totally thought, forgot to say, oh, actually, I didn't get a chance to change that bottle of oxygen. So, again, really happy to evolve and uh, elaborate on any of those points, Owen
0: no jimmy you make a great point there <clears throat> it's not just about the halo so the high acuity low occurrence it's actually about the the hey ho so the high acuity high occurrence um um kind of interventions because there's still gains you can make within the high acuity high occurrence um there's, there's still incremental improvements you can make uh, from looking at those uh, those incidents and also you know in in case review what what is it about the bread and butter work we're doing that we can improve and i think any high-performing team needs to ask that question because just because we're doing it frequently doesn't always mean we're doing it optimally and there there is there is stuff that you can cleave from 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 other services or from critique from from other people so i i fundamentally agree with that and to your point around sort of checking kit, you know, and the devil is in the detail with kit, and and I I, I absolutely agree with that. But just pivoting slightly and looking at how you mitigate tasks on scene because or indeed I say mitigate or or delegate tasks on scene because jim you're turning up to and will be turning up to as part of this new air ambulance that you're working with some really high acuity work you know people people peri-arrest or indeed in in cardiac arrest you know lots of lots of jobs to be done um some that you will have to do which are truly quite complex and becoming more complex how do you approach complex task acquisition and indeed how do you share tasks within within the team so so that actually we we can still keep a semblance of simple movement forward within a scene
1: so i think um i i I think you know it's there are so many strands to this there really are and we know this this is a simple concept to understand Some of the things that I find that can really help uh, are, don't do uh, what can be done by others. And there are some really, I mean, certainly um, in discussion with colleagues, there's some really good courses that really um, elaborate on that. So for example, if you go on an emergency trauma course, it's very much about how you manage a team of clinicians, professionals, experts, specialists. So I think that's vitally important. Uh, and, and, it, and you can then substrate that down again. So uh, I had a, an incident the other day where um, I had an international paramedic colleague who's new to the, the country and the system that we work in that needs support and development. I had a student paramedic out observing with me. Uh, we have other colleagues that um, are, are coming from different places. and so you can substrate that down again. And so you might sort of break that workload uh, down in different ways and just say, maybe to the student paramedic, look, I wanna let uh, the international paramedic do this and take this, can you do this and help me with this? And we'll talk about uh, the other factors later. I think uh, no one's a mind reader and and I've seen some really beautiful ways of, of, Uh, communication from uh, some of the best in class, and they can include things like, listen, guys, just stop what you're doing. Just need heads up. Uh, Let's take 10 seconds out. Uh, You know, this analogy of, uh, you know, slow is fast, fast is slow. Let's just take 10 10 seconds out, guys. This is where I am. This is what needs to be done. These are the priorities. Um, Person X can you do Y. Uh, Person A, can you do B? Um, Everyone happy with that? Let's regroup. Uh, That really helps. I think some of the really best um, in class that I've seen, when they've really found themselves up against it and they're back against the wall from high-acuity complex incidents, uh, they, they might say something like, my bandwidth is really filling up. I just need some time out. Let's, let's just concentrate on what we need to do here. Let's uh, refocus. We spoke about the structures, having that scaffold. I think they really help, um, but having a target. So if you can break this complex uh, nature of an incident or patient or uh, pathology down, uh, give yourself a target. We will uh, do this as a plan suggest plan deploy until we lose verbal contact. So if the patient loses, um, is not able to speak or verbalize, uh, we're assuming a would re- reduction on uh, consciousness, GCS, cardiovascular status. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll then do this as a plan suggest plan deploy. So I think they can be things that work really well. Uh, I think um, the Uh, What else is there? Um, Having been able to, I I mean, this is a trick that um, has been spoken about by some of the the best um, of HEM systems. uh, Certainly um, this idea that uh, just walk away from the incident, step aside so you can generate space and bandwidth and time and clarity of thought. Uh, and I often do that. I do that as much as I can. So it might be I'm going to I would like to make a top cover call to our one of our consultants. I'm actually going to sit in the front of a cab space of an ambulance and write down an S uh, and and really come up with what it is that uh, I think uh, needs to be discussed uh, with a, a colleague as part of the shared decision process. So I think that there's some of the things that can be really helpful.
0: Just looking at, Jim, mental fatigue and how that plays into task acquisition and task execution. Could you maybe speak to how you approach that? Because, you know, 4am on the third night shift is not the same as 4pm on the first (laughs) night shift.
1: Yeah. So I'm one of those individuals that uh, on the night shift, first night shift, I I struggle on the second night shift and on, I'm better. Uh, So some of the things that I really try to dial in to help are um, have a normal day leading into the first night shift, uh, but really have time out, uh, read a book, watch a film, have a sleep uh, uh, and have a good quality nap uh, and sleep before I start that night shift. So that's a simple example of how I try and improve my ability uh, to perform on what is an unnatural time frame in the day. Some of the other things that really helped me uh, are more around uh, so-called well-being or uh, survivability or, or maintaining uh, um, sanity are being really honest with myself. So I'm, I'm a man that wears uh, his heart on his sleeve and so, I try and use that to my advantage. I'm careful with who I talk to. I don't show that heart to to everyone, but if someone asks and if if I, if if it's within me i'm I'm pretty honest uh without being a burden or um being a party pooper because I've just been to a tough job um equally uh you know having a variety of uh support base so uh, you know, for example, you know I've got friends and uh, support structures in many different walks of life. So, for example, I've been out with a, a dear friend, uh, kite surfing, who is a shepherdess, and she runs a farm and looks after over three hundred sheep. Couldn't be any different to to my day job, and it's fantastic, really refreshing. Um, and I really try and certainly behave in a humble and uh, honest way to encourage forgiveness and kindness. Uh, and I try and do that uh, with my colleagues and peers. And I hope and I expect that in return because I will not always get it right and I will make error. And I don't know if we're going to touch on it later, but I try and own the error. So, you know, like that instance I spoke about earlier, own it, accept it, Um, You know, I can think of another incident where there were three paramedics, I was the fourth, we had quite an unwell patient. And then, uh, essentially, uh, I was trying to facilitate and support development and learning uh, with uh, my colleagues, what I omitted to do was to do an exquisite primary survey, and I delegated that out. And we missed assessing the pupils. And if I hadn't had missed that, I'd have realised what the problem was. It wasn't too much of a problem and we managed this patient uh, well, we got them into hospital under the banner of being peri-arrest. But it just really showed me that actually I felt made an error, I'd slipped up, and that was my responsibility. And so as a result, I went around each and every colleague and particularly the paramedics and apologised. And apologise for the error that I made. That was that was my fault. I should have uh, done X, Y, or Z. And uh, uh, and I'd like to honor, and I'd like to apologise. And I think that fosters then in the future an openness uh, with colleagues who, who you then hope to be open with you. There will be no hierarchical error. And good teamwork, and um, they see good traits. They see hopefully that earnest, humble, honest approach, uh, which hopefully will motivate.
0: Absolutely, Jim. And I think, like you said, modelling what you want to see back from people is 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 key. So that actually, that that humility piece, the active listening piece, um, and sort of modelling that to them, so that you you hopefully see it back from from them. But just also just looking at mechanisms that you put in place. So you said one of the mechanisms to to uh, mitigate sort of tasking factors is extensive kit checking. Another one that you uh, uh, referred to, Jim, was you know use of checklists mitigates uh, task human factors. But could you maybe speak to to others whereby there there are e- either contemporaneous feedback mechanisms, so feedback mechanisms in the moment, or indeed about mechanisms that, 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 that you or the scheme has articulated from case review that, that are actually robust and should be in place whenever you're executing one of these complex and or surgical tasks?
1: I think, you know, there's, we've really tried to be open and honest and evolve with this. Uh, we're no means perfect and we're definitely on a journey. Some of the processes and systems and checks that we uh, have are, for example, we have a, a welfare um, email system uh, that reports to all the team leaders. I'm uh, a team leader uh, with the program. And so uh, if we have a colleague that's been through a difficult job, um, we report that uh, uh, and flag that up with all the team leaders and the senior managers. And we look after a team, we look after individuals and we cross over. So we make sure that uh, colleagues who are going to high acuity work aren't not forgotten about not sort of uh, swept under the carpet because the system carries on and is uh, never-ending so that's one of the things that we do uh, we encourage uh, quite unique relationships so it might be myself or even two critical care paramedics uh, they have a system where they might have a code by text. If I text the word blue uh, in a a sentence that doesn't make sense or blue on its own, it means I need to talk to you uh, when I call you. So do you mind just picking up the phone if I call you? It's it's urgent. Um, We uh, encourage variability of work phases. So what I mean by that is that we really support colleagues who might need time off, time out. Uh, they might go off and do other uh, strands of workload. Like so they might go and work in clinical education or uh, work on a project um, and that can be really helpful. We really support what we call peer-to-peer. So every seven weeks uh, we support and foster um, uh, CCPs to work with each other uh, and that to be a formal uh, process so uh, it's not just a trolley and a ride out but uh, we we ask that um, each incident has a main or a lead CCP and the second uh, observing supporting and, and then uh, that's debriefed and, and formalised in the mini-report but the, the point is is that uh, we really encourage silos of working, uh, uh, hopefully positive, and, and that that's shared. is great for morale. As you know, and watching other people it's great. You pick up on things that you really like, uh, terms of praise or a, a way of doing something. And that's that's immeasurable. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, we really see the value of probably impromptu, impromptu, um, debrief areas, so for example, uh, on shift handover, uh, that tends to not be rushed unless there's a time critical incident that has come in, Um, and we allow that to, to be as natural as possible because it's vitally important, and it reduces loneliness if you don't hand over to someone uh, which would happen so those are some of the things that we do Um, uh, we um, have our top cover consultant group come to our clinical governance weeks and provide external validity to what it is that we do so it's not just us judging and and critiquing ourselves but uh, we get an outside view we have outside speakers so those are some things that really do help.
0: So Jim, what, what feedback mechanisms are there in place or that you put in place to try and safeguard against task human factors?
1: Within our clinical governance system, uh, we um, debrief our work, we we analyse, we, we look at downloads, give a drug, what did the observations do, what did the patient do, uh, we use... Uh, systems like um, simulance So uh, the last time I used uh, simulance was to uh, have video recording of uh, doing a front of neck and uh, it was a scenario and they, uh, each colleague had to deal with that. And so uh, as they say, the camera never lies, and so it, it was just fascinating because you think that you speak in a certain way, or you might be good at uh, a task, or this, or that, or the other. Um, and it was all confidential. Uh, each individual, each CCP came in one at a time. Uh, each video was then recorded onto a uh, like a USB card, uh, which they then kept. Um, so we can use systems like that. We have. Uh, a regular weekly seat on uh, our local air ambulance uh, charity. So we work with others uh, in a different um, uh, system uh, to really elaborate, expand and develop uh, ourselves as individuals. Um, We, you know, we might uh, or hopefully we do as, as clinicians um i jo- i can think of a job in mind where uh, i turned up to a pediatric patient that was in status uh, uh had a trachea on a ventilator and it might be that we uh you know we might use the system like dopes and say and be okay guys target is let's uh manage this status, let's get this back under control. Oh, now we have a new problem here with the respiratory uh, failure. OK, this is what we're going to do, guys. We work through dobes, and we're going to work. Th- we're going to do this together and deal with the task as a team, but uh, be guided uh, by myself um, uh, or, or another CCP. So they're some of the immediate things that I can think about. Uh, Something that uh, I only did the other day, maybe as another example, uh, giving intravenous paracetamol uh, to a pediatric patient. It means doing a drug calculation. It means uh, cross-checking that calculation. It means um, delivering the right drug, the right concentration, the right dose, the right volume. And so uh, with, this, uh, with the IVP, I, I said to my colleague, i I really tried to sort of work through it without giving answers. So uh, can you confirm what this drug is? It's it's paracetamol. It's Uh, a 100 milliliter bottle. I only want 50 milliliters, uh, which is 500 milligrams. Uh, So that's half a bottle. Uh, Do you concur or, uh, you know, practice such as? And so hopefully that deals with error in the best way possible. And I think one of the analogies from some of our colleagues uh, that they use, and certainly teams that work together, um, and it's the HEMS model that I have in mind, uh, the idea is is that um, they work to uh, SOPs, standard operating procedures, uh, we call them clinical practice guidelines. And the idea is is that uh, if there's one out of that two that's having a bad day, it's still not gonna be a poor delivery of service. Um, And so the system is set up to try and deal with these latent factors that quite frankly happen. Humans mess up, Uh, but it's about trying to minimize that. So um, that if the doc is having a bad day or the para, um, then uh, there are uh, systems in play to reduce the overall effects of what could be a catastrophe.
0: So I, I really like some of those, you know, some of some of those mitigation strategies that you were mentioning, and indeed, just looking at the communication piece actually, Jim, for 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 a short while, and how that plays into your practice. Um, the you, you know, you said uh, a number of things there around sort of yeah, checking kits, and indeed the way that you. Um, Orchestrate the scene, uh, but also that self-acknowledgement of how you are performing as an individual, and indeed, you know, yeah, what, what, uh, do you feel like it's you, you, you're 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 so suboptimal, or indeed, do you feel can can you share that as you said before? Can is is there a way of sharing all the tasks that need to be done in in a in a fashion which is um, both understood? and closed loop but could you could you speak to the communication piece jim you know you've worked with some fantastic clinicians in the past that have really you know really communicated succinctly uh, politely even under incremental pressure Come to that predefined endpoint and done it in a way which is cohesive. But can you can you speak to how you how you sort of share the mental model, some of the communication features that you orchestrate and practice, and how you how you um, execute it?
1: It does depend on uh, what you find is acceptable. So, as an example, it might be uh, you are first seen to a patient that potentially has serious injuries and you've got a helicopter team coming in and you can hear it and you can see the helicopter and you've got colleagues who are uh, trundling a stretcher along a, a difficult piece of terrain and haven't managed to get to the patient yet and and so what you can uh, you know it it might be that that you say listen guys, let's just uh, ditch the, the ambulance stretcher. To, we, we need to get to the patient. Let's do a quick assessment. Let's think about those two Rs. Let's think about the three three Ps. Uh, and, and let's see how we go with that. Uh, it's about delegating that that workload. And, and so I, I might say to, to one of my colleagues, do you mind doing a, a primary survey? Um, and uh, in the background, you're asking someone else to deal with the background um, uh, distractors, which might be noise or bystanders or, uh, I don't know, horses that are running around. Um, uh, and uh, you then update uh, the control room and, and, and tell the, the, the desk control in the, the helicopter, uh, can we keep that helicopter in the overhead uh, for them to not land on scene? We'll get you, a, we'll get you an update. Uh, we, just need, we just need five minutes. Uh, we just need, I, I don't need to articulate a time frame. This is my plan. Uh, so, each of those things in combination are together give you marginal gains which focus uh the the point a bit of clinical care uh, to be the best that it can be. Let's get that assessment um because it could easily be that we don't need the the, the team uh, by helicopter and with what the extra they bring, and we can deal with this patient uh, uh, in a fantastic manner and 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 all is in hand. Uh, And it might be uh, that, you you know, on that primary survey, something is missed, uh, but you might accept that or you might overview that primary survey being being done. Uh, You might uh, empower a colleague. uh, You might just get in the cannula into this patient. I'm just going to do this and I'm going to do that. Uh, I'll be back in a minute. Uh, And you might, you know... uh, you have to accept that they might not get that can you in and that's okay we will we'll look for another uh, point of access or or, uh, or another way uh, another route uh, like intranasal. so i think um i i think it, i i have a personal style i suppose like uh, like like we all do we all have our own way i try to be um sincere try to be honest uh, I try to be uh, humble. Um, I won't do anything that uh, I don't mind doing myself. Um, and sometimes you can say things like, uh, "Listen, guys, I need to get. Out. We need this uh, this this patient out in five minutes. Uh, you know, I, I, I want the package and out of the house and uh, I'm on our way in five minutes." Privately, it might be that you're happy with ten minutes, um, but you, you're wanting to put a focus on. And that's the priority at that moment. So it might be a rhetorical question. Um, What what do you think, guys? This is where I'm coming from. What's your thoughts? A really lovely turn of phrase I really like uh, is uh, when seniors or other colleagues turn up to me and they say, what's your plan? What's your plan, Jim? What were you thinking? And that's really empowering. And I think maybe it's about empowering the team uh, but keeping focus and being that that sort of uh, shepherd's dog, that, that sheep dog, uh, and just a nudge here and a nudge there uh, to get it going in the right direction.
0: Jim, something you said about cross-checking of drugs as well is actually key. You know, just to saying, you know, rather than saying this is Adrenaline 1 in 1,000 or Adrenaline 1 in 10,000, know, what is this drug? Because what you're doing is you're firing off the person's attention to to reciprocate yeah this is this is x drug <clears throat> and and it's it's that re it's that read receipt um and it's and it's also um shared situation awareness but there's the what you're trying to do is mitigate your error by getting by 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 Delegating and, and recruiting their attention, their active attention, as to what this drug is, because they got to physically read it, and I, so I really like that. And I also like you said, they said the non-technical piece around not your your uh, your ability and indeed willingness to do any of the tasks that are, that are involved and that are needed. Hopefully, like you said, you can move to the level of your ceiling of care, and you can you can delegate people to their ceiling of care. So everyone's everyone's working to their ceiling of care. And then, you know, what you're doing is then uh, distributing the workload appropriately to, to people's skill sets. But actually, if it's not, if everything else has been done, you don't mind getting that cannula in or drawing that drug up or putting that seatbelt on or wheeling the patient into the ambulance it's not and it's so it's not about anything's beyond you and i I, I very much an advocate myself of that sort of servant leadership style because i think it's it shows the team that you're that nothing is beyond any of us and actually what we're trying to do is plug the gaps and uh and, and bring that patient to their end point quicker so jim as we start to uh look at coming into land on the interview could you maybe speak to just some seminal take-home messages for listeners that you'd like to mention
1: yeah of course i think uh i think one of the first take-home messages for me are don't be so naive to think that there is a model or an explanation uh, that is universally applicable i think uh you know that that is uh a wishful think uh, or thinking and uh, be open to, to the idea that this is infinite, uh, but that we can actually make things better with, uh, with some of the systems we've spoken about or an attitude or culture uh, and approach. So I think that's the first thing. The, the second thing I suppose is um, have systems that are routine and repeated. I find that very helpful. I always try and have a, a roll of tape on uh, my belt. I really try and make sure that the the end, a bit like, you know, when you go to a roll of sellotape, you can't find the end to unpick. I try and have one corner folded over so it's easy to get to. I carry four tourniquets, uh, disposable tourniquets, uh, two that go above uh, and on the mid forearms and two above the ACFs. Um, and then, theoretically, I'm improving my chance of cannulation fourfold, not just one, onefold. fold. Um, we spoke about simple structures. I'm a big fan uh, of having a scaffold or, or multiple different simple scaffolds. Have scaffolds that help. An example might be blood on the floor and four mole. Those are the things that we worry about when it comes to major hemorrhage. Uh, if there's hemorrhage from elsewhere, uh, you know, like a, a lower limb, or, um, that, that isn't going to be life-threatening, uh, uh, certainly not in the in normality. Have redundancy. Uh, a big thing uh, that I try and do is uh, have redundancy in my system. So a really simple and silly example is I have drugs. uh, I have um, acronyms like uh, dopes um, saved as a contact on my phone. Uh, So I might be en route to a job that I'm not driving. I can look this up. I can look up uh, information. I'm thinking, okay, this is a head injury. What's the what's the map that we would want for for a patient as a target? Because we spoke about targets. Um, I ha- I have a, a a a guideline that is official. Uh, but what if I can't get to that or the, the 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 software doesn't reboot or uh, where some of our CPGs are? They're based on a they need a net um, delegate direct uh, deconstruct negative bias. Um. And, uh, you know, I really challenge uh, when you hear something like, oh, well, I'm only a ECSW, a care support worker. I'm only this. I I openly challenge that. And I go, forget that. You, what I want from you and I would like from you is to be complete eyes and support for the paramedic. Because the paramedic might have 10 things going through their mind. And your role and your superpower and you being brilliant in this team is actually generating the space and the thinking power or saying, actually, paramedic, I need you to go off and uh, um, look up the drug calc for this uh, paediatric patient. I'm going to go off and do it uh, the same. Let's meet in the middle. I think successful teams thrive on engagement. We know they do. And we can look at uh, theories that have been brought by people like uh, Lencioni. Uh, where, um, you know, they talk about um, certain factors uh, that have an influence on uh, interplay and teams and individuals, but successful teams thrive on that engagement and discussion. So create the space for them. Um, and, yeah, lastly, don't think that... Uh, that active errors may be the dominant factor. They are important. They happen, we know. And that's why we're talking about this today. But latent conditions are clearly important. Uh, And just simply, you know what, Owen, sometimes people just slip up. And that's okay.
0: Absolutely, Jim. And like you said, giving people um, permission to make mistakes, actually, and permission for yourself to make mistakes and move through those once you've articulated that um but that ownership piece you're mentioning earlier is, is is powerful as well jim i'm mindful um we've gone over time and it's been fantastic talking to you just getting your insights again on human factors this is the last of the three pieces on human factors and i really feel like we've squared off some of the uh some of the sort of fantastic areas in which we can we can really um learn from uh people like yourself uh from from practice and from your reflections so thank you for for the last hour jim
1: it's been an absolute delight thank you so much for having me along it's been brilliant uh, and i look forward to another opportunity
0: you're listening to the pre-hospital care podcast on the medics academy network